ahead and be seated if you would and welcome to church this morning. Man, I'm glad that you're here. Here, uh, We're going to start with a little bit of church trivia this morning. Um, and you can play along and you can answer out loud. This is one time it's, it's more than appropriate uh, to talk in church. Uh, but, but I want to ask you a, a series of questions um, just to see if, if you understand Church 101 and the, uh, the culture of church. My guess is you'll probably get the first two correct. Question number one, uh, what is, uh, according to USA Today, they did a, a story about a, about a month ago. Um, on church. Uh, what is, according to USA Today, the number one attended Sunday of the year every year in church? The Sunday that the most people are in church would be what Sunday? Easter Sunday. That's correct. Uh, question number two. The Sunday of the year that the second most people are in church uh, every year would be? Would be Christmas. Easter's number one. Christmas is number two. We call them C and Ears. Really, they're E and C. Ears. They're Easter, Easter first, Christmas second. The third highest attended Sunday of the year would be Mother's Day. You're correct. And the lowest attended Sunday of the year. Every year in churches in American Christianity is Father's Day. Because on Mother's Day, Mom tells everyone, you're coming to church with me. And on Father's Day, Dads tell the family, I want you to stay home with me. Now, that's really a sad testimony of... American Christianity. Uh, you were able to guess it, so you know it. I don't think it's any surprise to any of us, um, but it shouldn't be a pleasant surprise. It should be an unpleasant surprise as we look at those statistics. And as we get ready to, to just talk a little bit about dads being a dad, Father's Day today, uh, I want to make a statement. I'm the dad of two. My son's going to be 11 next month. My little girl uh, is eight. Uh, in my opinion, being a dad is the greatest privilege in the world, um, and it's the greatest responsibility. In the world, it's the most fun um, in the world. Uh, but we don't have tons of good examples in our world to look at to say, "Hey, how do you how do you be a good dad?" As a matter of fact, in the American church, uh, most dads in the American church, at least on this Sunday more than any other, don't even want to come to church on this day. So, who as dads, if you're a dad of uh, of a, a a newborn getting ready to come, or if you're a dad of a senior citizen, 55 to 60 years old, if you're a dad. I want you to stand right now. All our dads, stand. Stay standing for just a minute. And help me welcome our fathers and wish them a happy Father's Day. Stand for just a minute. Tom, you actually got your little girl comfortably in your arms. Thank you, dads. You can be seated. Dads, who do we look at? Who is our example? When we say, okay, I want to be the best dad in the world. Uh, I want to be the dad that the Bible says I should be. I want to be the dad that God wants me to be. Who do we look at? Well, there, there are probably in our culture some dads we could look at and say those are great men. Those have great families. These are people we really respect. Or we can go to the Bible and we can look at the most unique father-son relationship in the history of the world. And that would be the relationship between God and his son Jesus. And here's what's really interesting about that. We see lots of son-to-father communication in the relationship between God and Jesus. We, we hear a lot of what Jesus has to say to God. We see a lot of their interaction. We see a lot of emotion come out when Jesus talks to God. Really only twice do we see any father-to-son interaction in the relationship between God and Jesus. Two times God speaks about his son. And what's interesting is when you look at the aspect of God as a father. By the way, the Lord's Prayer starts out, how are Father, so we're we're very we're very uh, familiar with the concept of God is Father, God is Dad. As a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, when he prayed to God, called him Abba, which the the most correct English term for that word that that Jesus used is not Father, 
It's daddy. It's not even dad. It's daddy. Um, so you can see how, you can understand how close Jesus was to God, his father. But when we look at dads, what do dads need to do? When we look at the privilege it is to be a dad, uh, I think the best thing to look at is how God interacted with Jesus to see how a dad should interact with their kids, how a dad should lead their families. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Um, if you did not bring your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle uh, every Sunday. It's our joy to, to give out Bibles. If you forgot your Bible, just wave at an usher. They'll give it to you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, our ushers will give you one, and this is yours to keep. You can have it. Don't think you're the first. We've given away over 300 Bibles now since our church has been going uh, the last nine months. If, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. So this is yours. Put your name in it. You can keep it. Uh, if you have one and you just forgot it, use this. Throw it on the table when you leave, and we'll give it to somebody else next week. But in Matthew chapter 3, um, we see the first time that God audibly speaks. And if you have your sermon notes, you can pull those out. Uh, our ushers are going down the aisle. They've got sermon notes. They've got pens. Just wave at them. If you need anything, wave at these men they're, and, and these women. They're here to serve you, to help you. They're glad to help you learn better by having the right tools that you need. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see at the baptism of Jesus. And by the way, if you see our banner there in the back, we're in the midst of a series called Bedtime Stories. We're looking at the 11 most popular, most well-known Bible stories uh, that we find from Genesis to Revelation. And we're trying to pull some personal application and some personal Bible truth out of these great Bible stories that we know, but maybe we don't know how they apply to our lives. We know, but we don't know what we're supposed to do as a result of these things. And one of the greatest Bible stories is the baptism of Jesus. If you've been around church, you've heard this, you've studied it, maybe you're not sure what it means to you if you're a dad today. Man, a lot of content for you today in the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, we start in verse 13, we go to verse 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized to you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. If you have a pen, you need to underline that. You should have a pen. We should have given you one. If you have a Bible, you should have a Bible. We just gave you one if you didn't have one. Underline that verse 17. God speaking to his Son. This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Today, I want to talk to the dads. And really, I want to talk to the moms. If you're a parent, I want to talk to you today about, about God's relationship with his child. And I want to talk to you in, in, a, in a Bible study that I've themed a father's praise. We know a father's privilege. I mean, just to be a dad carries so much responsibility. It really is a privilege, not, uh, not, a, not a right. Um, and we see that a father not only has the privilege of raising kids, but a father has the responsibility of giving praise to their children that will direct them in their life in the way that they need to go. So I want to give you today three things that Jesus said to his son, that Jesus said about his son, that every father in the room should be saying to your kids, that every mother in the room should be saying to your kids, um, that anyone in the room should be saying to anyone you hope to influence spiritually, three things that God models for fathers, for dads, for parents, for leaders, for mentors today, three phrases I want to give you that have to be in your mouth as you raise your children. Phrase number one, God said it to Jesus. It's pretty simple. I love you. In verse 17, as Jesus came out of the water, 
God said, this is my son, and I love him. This is my son, and I love him. Now, I don't know how many times you have introduced your children to people. I I introduce my kids to people all the time. I don't know that I've ever introduced my kids to someone saying, hey, this is my son, Christian. Man, I really love him. This is my daughter, Casey. Man, I really love her. I, I probably should more often, but I don't know that I've ever done that. But God had one opportunity to introduce his son to the world, personally introduce his son. And what he wanted everyone to know is this is my son. And man, I love him. I love him. If you're a dad today, this phrase has to be spoken in your life, in your home, around your family. This is my son whom I love. Love, we know, is always spoken. It has to be. You know, I've met people my age, and I've met men older than me that I've sat in Bible studies with. Men who have been 30, men who have been 40, men who have been 50, men who have been 60, who have uttered these words, my dad has never told me that he loves me. I've had kids in student ministry for almost the decade that I did student ministry tell me, my dad has never told me that he loves me. And when you, when you interact with the parents, it always goes something like this. Well, they know that I love them. How do they know? How do they know? Tell them. You got to tell them. If God shows us anything about being a parent, it's this. You have to tell your kids you love them. Love has to be spoken. You know, we know that God loves us because God told us. God spoke it to us. God put it in language so that we could understand it. If you study theology, and you study theology is made up of two words, uh, basically logos, which is the word knowledge, uh, and theos, which is the word God, knowledge of God. We say, how do we know who God is? And in theology, in the study of the knowledge of God, they'll say there's two ways that humanity has the opportunity to know God. The first way is what's called general revelation. What is that? That's things that everyone can know just by looking around. That's what some scientists are starting to develop who are studying just purely science, no religion at all. They're starting to look at how nature is so orderly, how it's so designed. And they're saying, you know, just by looking at science, it seems that someone has put all this together. And there's this movement called the intelligent design uh, movement where people are saying, you know, we're not saying it's the God of the Bible. We're not saying it's God, but it appears as if someone's in charge. And Scripture says in, in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, just by looking around, you can tell that there's a God. General revelation. But then the Bible says there's what's called special revelation or specific revelation. What is that? They said that's when God specifically told somebody, write this down and tell people this about me. The Bible is what we would call special revelation. The Bible is God telling us what he wants us to know so we don't have to guess. You telling your kids you love them often and always is you telling them what they need to know so they don't have to guess your words i love you are equivalent to god's word to us letting us know him you know most of you if you've grown up in church you know we talk about people who have a life verse a favorite bible verse you might hear some of our kids when we baptize some of our kids say my favorite bible verse is this or hear adults say my favorite bible verse is this my favorite bible verse my life verse uh, that I really love is Jeremiah 29, 11, where God talks about the plans that he has for our life, plans to prosper us and help us succeed. That's a verse that I've held on to. Why? Because that's something God has told me through his word that I believe. We have to tell our children that we love him. So love is spoken. Love is also felt. Love is felt. 
Listen, Dad, it's your job to teach your kids what a loving hug, a loving pat on the back, putting your kids to bed. It's your job to teach your kids what affection feels like. Listen, if you don't teach your kids proper affection, someone will. And it might be improper. Man, I love to hug my kids and kiss my kids and have them sit on my lap and hang out with them and have them you know, ride on my shoulders and give them piggyback rides. I love to be around my kids. Being a dad is my favorite thing in the world. And I absolutely love when I see a dad wrestling with his son or hanging out with his son or holding his daughter's hand because I know that dad is modeling what love feels like to those children. Um, you know, I, I often say this. A lot of the movies that I watched growing up are probably not movies that you should watch growing up, but, but I, I remember a lot of things from them. So when I say remember in this movie, I'm not saying go watch this movie because it may be totally inappropriate to watch. But if you've seen Tommy Boy, um, I think of Chris Farley's, I think of Chris Farley's words to Rob Lowe when he's introduced to his brother and Rob tries to shake his hands. And remember what Tommy Boy says to Rob Lowe? He says, brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta, brothers gotta hug. Brothers gotta hug. Love is felt. Love is embraced. Hug your kids today. Whether they're five or fifty-five. Dads, hug your kids today. Mom, hug your kids today. Help them understand what healthy love feels like. So love is spoken. You gotta tell them. Love is felt. You have to show them. But, but then love is shown. Love is shown. It, you have the ability to show your kids that you love them. And you say, how do I do that? I heard it said by James Dobson best this way, and I've heard every pastor in the world repeat it. Kids spell love. T-I-M-E. Kids spell love. T-I-M-E. You have to spend time with your kids. Because they equate you spending time with them as you loving them. Grandparents. Grandparents. You know what means more to your kids than a $5 bill on their birthday or a Christmas present? You come into their ball game. You come into their place. You showing up at school to eat lunch with them. Because kids understand. Kids see love as time being spent on them. You know, last Friday, not two days ago, but a week ago Friday... Uh, Casey had been at a, uh, a little theater camp, Christian youth theater camp, uh, all week long. And she had a little production performance they put on at the end of the week on Friday night. And Christian had a baseball game at the exact same time in Platte City, about an hour and 15 minutes north of where we live. And the first question Casey came home with when she found out she had, she had this camp, she said, Dad, at the end of the week we have a show. And she asked me, Dad, are you going to come? And I knew Christian had a baseball game, and Danielle and I were kind of planning on dividing the duties, and it's, I'm not just a dad, I'm a coach. So I said, you know, Casey, I'm going to figure something out. So every day for the rest of the week, she said, Dad, are you going to come? Dad, are you going to come? Dad, are you going to come? And I told Danielle at the end of the week, I went in on Thursday to the director, and I said, here's my dilemma. I said, I coach my son's baseball team. He has a game. You have this big production. My sisters have done this. My wife said, I said, I know you all have to have a dress rehearsal at some point Friday morning or afternoon, right? She said, yeah. I said, can I come to the dress rehearsal? said, I have to watch my daughter do this. And she said, yeah, you can come to the dress rehearsal. So I showed up at 11 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. You know, Friday is our staff team's day off. We tell our staff, take your, your wife out to lunch that day, hang out with your family. Um, you know, so Friday, I, you know, I kind of gave up my day Friday to go. And I sat in the back row. I was the only one in the room. I literally, it was like a performance for one. 
And they got up on the stage and they did their little singing and dancing. And Casey, the entire performance, just stared at me with the biggest smile on her face. I would say it felt like I was the only one in the room, but I was the only one in the room. But she never broke eye contact even once. Even once. Casey dances a lot like I do, which I dance the way you think I dance. It's not, it's not very good. So she's not, she's not highly coordinated. And at one point she was staring at me while they were doing this turn and she fell flat on her face because she was looking at me instead of paying attention. She jumped up and I just gave her a thumbs up. And at the end of every performance, I clapped, even though I was the only one in the room. And all these kids are looking at me like, what is this freak doing in the back of the room? Um, you know, but that 45 minutes meant more to her to show her I loved her than anything else that I could have done this entire summer. She'll remember that the rest of her life. More than what I buy her, more than what I give her, she'll remember that time for the rest of her life. Kids understand love, whether they're 10 or 20 or 40. Kids understand love by you giving them your time. You know, one of our dads called me this week, a, um, a dad who is a, is a leader in our church. He's one of the most faithful men in our church. And he called me this week and said, Christian, I have a dilemma. And so what's the dilemma? Um, and uh, he's got a son who, who plays tournament baseball. He's, a, he's a, a real good baseball player. This dad is a very faithful member of our church, and he said, uh, you know, Christian, he said, the uh, coach came to me this week um, and asked me if my son could pitch on Sunday and if they made it to the championship game because his son is one of the best pitchers on the team. But he said, he said normally we don't let him play on Sundays. But he said, you know, it, you know, the coach, you know, they used to kind of make fun of us for not coming on Sundays. Now he's asking our permission. You know, I think he understands how important God is. It's Father's Day, and he said, I, you know, I, I don't know what, what to do. What should I do? And I said, well, let me tell you how I see it. I said, first, you, does your son understand that baseball is not more important than God? He said, oh, absolutely. We, you know, we, we rarely, um, as he grew up, let him play every Sunday because we wanted him to know that, you know, that God came first. And I said, okay, he knows that. I said, does your coach know God is more important than baseball? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, he asked our permission to miss church to do this game. And I said, does your son know that he's more important to you than church? Because that's, that's the question. The coach respects you spiritually. And you'll probably have a better chance to minister to him if you go to this game. Since, since he has asked you, to, what you're saying to the coach is you're important to me and this team is important to me. It's going to build relational credibility so one day you can actually minister to this guy. But I said, if you let your son go pitch and you're not there on Father's Day, the message you're sending is going to church is more important to me than being with you. And I said, you know, you're going to be able to go to church the rest of your life. You got just a few years left with your son. Be a dad. And I would say the same things to all of you about not just church, but about your, your kids are more important than your jobs. Your kids are more important than your hobbies. If you can't spend time with your kids because you're spending too much time on the golf course or too much time at slow pitch softball or too much time hanging out on the lake or too much time out jogging or too much time doing anything, because your season tickets to the Royals games or the Chiefs games or the KC Sporting, if you don't have time for your kids because you're busy doing something else, they see that, they know that, and in their mind they're thinking, my dad loves that more than he loves me. You see, love is shown, and it's shown in spending time. The Bible talks about the story of a, a father who had two sons, and he asked his two sons both to go and do something. And the Bible said the first son, he asked his son, hey, can you help me with this? And the son said, no, but then he went and he actually did it. 
He asked the second son, hey, will you help me with this? And the son said, yeah. And then he didn't show up. Jesus said, which one of the sons actually loved his father? And the crowd answered him, the one who did what he said. And he said, so it should be with you. Which means this, if you're a dad, when your kids say, hey, dad, are you going to show up? And you always say, yeah. And then you're never there. They probably wonder if you really care. Whereas if you're the dad who says, you know, I'm really busy, I'm going to try, but you always seem to be there for everything, and they're going to know they're really important in your eyes. You know, Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan. He talked about a Samaritan that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you've been in Israel, you, you understand that terminology. I mean, it's just a hill from Jerusalem to Jericho. You have to go down. And a man got robbed and he got beaten and he got left on the side of the road. And Jesus said, let me, you know, and, and Jesus had told people, love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody spoke up and said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, let me give you a story. And he said, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He got attacked, beaten by the way. And he said, a priest went by. Pretty godly guy, right? Um, and he said, the priest saw the man laying in the ditch and thought, ah, I don't have time for you. And he kept going. Then a Levi went by who would be like a Sunday school teacher. Another pretty godly guy. The Levite saw him in the ditch and thought, ah, I don't have time for him. Then a Samaritan came by. Samaritans were dogs in Jewish history 2,000 years ago. But he said the Samaritan saw him. He went and got him. He spent time with him. He made sure he was nursed back to health. He provided for him. He said, which one of those people would you say is really a neighbor to someone? And they answered, well, the Samaritan. Because people who spend time with people and people who provide for people and people who make sure people are protected, those are people who prove that they really care. So when, when God said of Jesus, this is my son and I love him, love is spoken, love is felt, love is shown. But God said something else, though. Number two, he, he, and I'm going to make this statement this way, it was important to the son that he heard the dad say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. God said in Matthew 3.17, This is my son whom I love, and with him I am pleased. I'm proud of him. Let me ask you, dads, when is the last time you told your kids that you're proud of them? Let me flip the question this way. When is the last time that you as an adult, or have you ever, had your dad look you in the eye and say, I'm proud of you? You know, we have people who are sitting in this room today who are past the age of 40, who are still wondering if they have their parents' approval, if their life has been good enough, if they measure up, if anybody's proud of them. And, you know, as a parent, we can, we can build tremendous confidence and strength in our kids when we look at them and say, I'm proud of you. I love what Jesus, Jesus modeled this for us in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 9 and verses 17 through 21. If you have your Bible, you can turn over there. If you don't, that's no big deal. But Jesus, as a leader, modeled this for us, telling people when they do a good job, hey, you did a good job, I'm proud of you. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 17 through 21. It says, after this, the Lord, that's Jesus, appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. Verse 8. When you enter a town uh, and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come 
near to you. Verse 10, but when you enter a town and aren't welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet. This is a warning. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. Skip down to verse 17, if you would. So they went out. They did ministry. They came back, and here's what Jesus said to them. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied and said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you now authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't just rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus gave some men a job spiritually. He said, go out and do this. And they came to him. And I'm sure they failed on many levels. I'm sure if Jesus was a critic, he could come back and say, now you did these hundred things wrong. But they came back and said, Jesus, here's what happened. And he said, man, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud of you guys. You did it. Good job. Man, I watched what you were doing, and it was like Satan himself was getting beat around the octagon. Good job. I'm proud of you guys. Man, what would it mean to you to have Jesus shake your hand, look you in the eye, and say, man, I'm proud of you? Because these disciples got to feel that. Can you remember a time in your life when somebody you really respected, a coach, a teacher, a boss, a co-worker, took just 10 seconds to stop by your life and said, hey, I just want you to know, man, you're doing a good job. Everyone is noticing what a good job you're doing. See, it's important from time to time to step up and tell people, I'm proud of you. You know when it's most important, dads, moms, but dads, particularly on Father's Day, right after your kids have failed, pull them aside, remind them, I'm proud of you. You know, we've been in Branson all weekend long. Christian had his state baseball tournament. I actually drove up from Branson this morning. I got up at 4 a.m. and my little girl Casey got up with me because she didn't want me to be alone on Father's Day and rode all the way up and, and talked most of the way uh, uh, from, from Branson. Um, and, uh, you know, Christian yesterday was playing in the state baseball tournament, and his first two at-bats he did really well. And we got kind of in crunch time of a game that we ultimately won. Uh, but he got up to bat, and I'm the first base coach, and he grounded out. And, man, he hit first base. And at that level, like, any, like the kids just almost burst into tears at anything that goes wrong. So he grounds out, and he hits first base, and, you know, I look at him, and he's tearing up, and he's going to head to the dugout, and I stopped him, I grabbed his shoulder, and I said, Christian, I don't know if you saw, but that time when you got up to bat, all the outfielders moved back. They know you can hit. Good job. And, man, he just broke into a smile, and in an instant, man, those tears turned to smiles. That's what dads are supposed to do when life is heavy on our kids. Remind them that you're proud of them. That you love them. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. In Psalm 37, 23 and 24, it's a verse that changed my life when I clearly understood it. Here's how it reads in the New King James Version. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Keep that verse on the screen, if you would, for a minute. You know, all my life I grew up thinking that maybe God loved me, but he didn't like me. And I never thought God could be proud of me because I, I wasn't much to be proud of spiritually, and I'm still not. I, I have as many failures as I do successes every day of my spiritual life. But, but when I read Psalm, 23 verses, Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, and it says, um, and they, they didn't write this on the screen exactly like it is in the New King James Version. The New King James says, The steps of good men are ordered by the Lord, uh, and he, the he is capitalized, H-E, and he delights in his way. What that means is that God delights, enjoys, likes us. And in our life, he watches us 
live life and he enjoys watching us live life. And even when we fall down, he reaches up, he reaches down and he picks us up, but he likes us. He's proud of us. See, when you begin to understand God not only loves you, but he likes you and he's proud of you, it will change the way that you live life. You know, your kids need to know that you love them, but they need to know that you like them. They need to know that you're proud of them. They need to know that you enjoy them. And they need to know that you, as you watch their life, it makes you the happiest in the world. Your kids need to know you like them just the way that they are. And that there's nothing in the world that they could do to turn you off to them. That doesn't always mean you're going to be pleased with every decision. doesn't mean you're always going to be pleased with the, with the, choice that they, the choices they make to live their life. Some of us may have kids that one day end up in jail and we have to talk to them through a sheet of glass. But the message through that sheet of glass needs to be, man, I'm so proud to be your dad. And I love you so much. And man, I understand that you messed up, but hey, I love you so much. There's nothing any of our kids should do that should release this message of I love you and I'm proud of you from our lips as parents. In Zechariah 3, 1 through 5, I love this picture of God speaking to someone who is really not worthy of God's love. Zechariah paints the picture of the high priest of Israel who's been defiled by sin. He's pretty dirty spiritually. And, and Zechariah says, Then God showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was at his right side to accuse him, to remind him of all the things that he'd done wrong. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this man not a burning stick snatched away from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin, and I'll put fine garments on you. Then he said, I put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Listen, this is, as parents, this is our job. When our kids show up dirty, and tarnished, and, and with a life full of mistakes that has led to maybe even terrible consequences. We are the ones who say, listen, I see you as clean. I see you as pure. Take off all the garbage because you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And I'm going to stand by, even if I don't agree with everything in your life, I'm your dad. And I love you. And I'm proud to be your dad. That's the message of God to his son. As a matter of fact, if you're a parent of a child who owns a cell phone, how many of you are a parent a mother or a father of a child who owns a cell phone, raise your hand. I want you to pull out your cell phone right now and text them that you, hey, I love you, and I'm, I just want to remind you that I love you and I'm proud of you today. Do it right now. Half of you are playing Angry Birds anyway. Don't act like you don't have your cell phone. Get your cell phone out of your pocket and text your kids, whether they're 12 or 40. Hey, I want you to know. And if they text back, aren't you sitting in church? Say, yeah, but the preacher just said to text you and tell you that I love you and I'm proud of you. No, don't say that. Just say, I was just thinking about you. And I, I just remembered how much I loved you and how proud I was of you. Say, so what, what if I don't like my kids? Some, see, some of you haven't spoken to your kids like this in a long time. I love you and I'm proud of you. Because deep down you're disappointed. You're not proud. But you know what? You're a dad. You're a mom. Our job is to love our kids. Get them as close as we can to Jesus, and then let Jesus figure out the mess that they are. Our job is to love them and be proud of them. So if you're a parent, text them. Just want to remind you today, I love you and I'm proud of you.
And then you can put your phone away and listen to the rest of our Bible study this morning. So as a dad, I love you. You got to say it. You got to let them feel it. You got to show it. As a dad, as a mom, um, I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. And then especially if you have children who are maybe under the age of 25, uh, as a parent, you need to be the one who continues to reiterate the phrase, you're good at, and remind your kids what God has created them to become. And I have your good at dot, 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 because it's going to be different for all of us. You say, where is that? In Matthew 17, 5, this is the other time. We, so we see God twice speak to Jesus. Once at his baptism, once at what we call the transfiguration. We won't get into that as a church, but this is right before Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and he met with God one more time. And here's what God said. Jesus was, was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Peter got this big idea. God interrupted him because Peter was always interrupting everyone. And it said, while he, Peter, was speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. Again, he said, whom I love. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my son. I love him. I'm proud of him. And listen, he really knows what he's doing on this spiritual thing. So listen to him. He's good at this. Three messages from the perfect father to the perfect son. I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, you're really good at this. And listen, parents, your kids may not be good at the same things you were good at or the things you want them to be good at. It's your job as a parent to discover the way God created them and then to help them flourish in that in life and in serving Jesus. Uh, When you look at God's conversation with Moses, and next week we'll look at in our bedtime stories, we'll look at the story of the burning bush, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. When God first got to Moses, Moses was a mess. Moses was a murderer. Moses was a coward. I mean, Moses was a mess. And God spoke to Moses and said, you're going to be the leader of my people. And Moses had a stuttering problem. And and Moses said to God, you know, I, I, I don't even talk right. I don't think I can do this. And God said, no, listen to me. I don't see you as you are. I see you as you could be. I see you at your very best. You can do this. You're going to be good at this. Gideon, who's, Gideon is a Bible story we're not going to look at this summer. But it's, I mean, again, one of my favorite Bible stories in the whole Bible. Our staff team is actually, when I had our staff team submit their favorite bedtime Bible stories, we had over 30 submitted. So we've talked about maybe every summer for the next three years, we'll just keep doing more Bible stories so everyone can learn, like, all the great stories in the Bible. And maybe we'll put them in a volume and give them away to our kids' ministry one day so our kids can learn all the great stories in the Bible. But Gideon, when God met Gideon, Gideon, again, was a coward. He was hiding. He was a wimp. And God found him, and when God spoke to him, he said, Gideon, the mighty warrior of Israel. And Gideon had to do it. When God called him the mighty warrior of Israel, here's what Gideon did. Me? Because I'm not a mighty warrior. And God said, no, 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 no. listen. I don't see you as you are right now. I see what you could be at your best. You're going to be good at this. You're going to do this. You have to understand as a parent what your kids are good at, what God has shaped them to be, and you have to push them that way. This is, as a dad, this is our greatest opportunity, and this is our greatest challenge, to see our kids not only as what they are, but what they could be. 
when they live the life that God has designed for them and to help push them towards that. Proverbs 22.6 is a great Bible verse for parents to understand. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. That, that term, the way he should go, literally it means this. Train up a child according to their bent. It's, it's like a tree limb that starts bending off, and you need to let that tree limb keep going in its correct direction. It's like, see the way your kids are shaped. See the things that your kids like, and then push them in that direction. I actually heard this verse given this way the first time from Dr. Robert Lewis, who wrote a curriculum called Men's Fraternity. He was an all-American linebacker at Arkansas back in the day when Arkansas ruled the roost of college football. He played in that great celebrated game between Arkansas and Texas when Billy Graham flew in, I think, to the Cotton Bowl or someplace to give the opening prayer. I mean, a man's man, all-American linebacker at the University of Arkansas, and his son, his oldest son was pure art, theater, music, singing. And he said, I looked at my son and I realized he was going to be nothing like me, but he was going to be great at what God had shaped him to do. And he said, I threw all my weight behind getting him involved in art and theater and music, and now he's serving God in his own way. See, I didn't try to make him me. I saw how God had created him, and I helped push him that way. I saw what he was good at. And I let him know, this is what God has created for you to do. Train up your child according to their bent. Find out what they're good at. My little girl is not going to be a dancer. God bless her. I mean, she is awesome. She could be a talk show host. She could be a speed talker. She could be an auctioneer. She could be a storyteller. She could be a kid's pastor. She could be a worship leader. I mean, she's got so many things that she's good at. And right now, we're trying to figure out what is she great at and how can we invest like we invest in my son with sports, how can we invest in Casey and the things that she's good at? Because it's not always a stick in a ball with her and allow her to flourish in what God wants to use her at one day. Where are your kids' hearts? Where are their abilities? Where are their talents? And as a parent, in, instead of fighting against those, can you be proud of those? And can you let your kids know that you're proud of them for that and they're good at something? And can you push them to be successful in an area where they could serve Jesus for the rest of their life? You see, God uses us the way we are. God uses us where we are. God uses us the way he's created us to bring about the most for his kingdom. So if you're a dad today, if you're a mom today, here's some application steps. And then I'm going to wrap with one last spiritual challenge to you. If you're a parent today, tell your kids you love them. Texting, by the way, is not enough. Facebook is not enough. Email is not enough. You have to call them. But I figured if I had everyone call, it would get very confusing in here and we'd never get through the message. So call like when you leave. If you're a dad, don't wait for your kids to call you. You're their dad. Call them. Say, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm thinking about you. Because without you, this day is not Father's Day for me. Without a son, without a daughter, I'm just a man. I'm not a father. So today, I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, I've been thinking about just what you, you know, what your latest thing at work your latest thing in sports. You're, you know, I just, I've watched the way you love your kids. I've watched the way you, man, you're a great dad. Man, you're a great husband. Man, you're good at this. Remind them you love them. You're proud of them. Remind them what they're good at. Tell your kids you love them. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell them what you see them being good at and push them. A great dad makes all the difference in the world. It really does. A great dad makes all the difference in the world. And I had a great dad. Um, my dad, who some of you met last week, was... 
he was my principal growing up. He was my athletic director growing up. He was my head football coach growing up. He was my best friend growing up. He was my golfing partner. I mean, I always say I'm 34 now, and I, can, I mean this with all my heart. When I grow up, I want to be just like my dad. I mean, just like my dad. I think that much of him. Um, and, and my dad and I, you know, we, we, we've been through some interesting times together. Some of you know this, some of you don't. The, the moral of the story means a lot more than the information in the story. Uh, but my dad is a highly successful high school football coach, was for 30 years, um, at, at, a, at a very successful program um, that I came up in at a public school in, in southern Ohio, small public school. Uh, and we were a part of a football program that beat everyone for a really long time. And as a sophomore, uh, my dad decided to start me at quarterback on this team that had beat everyone for a really long time. And my very first start ever, um, I lost the game. I mean, me personally lost the game. Uh, for those of you who understand a little bit of football, we were running an option play near our goal line, um, and I got spooked and pitched the ball to no one. It ended up in the end zone. They fell on it, and we lost by a touchdown. I mean, I lost the game. Uh, and I lived in a community that probably cared a little too much about football. Uh, and the next week, we got, we got dead flowers <laughs> sent to us in the mail with people that threw beer bottles and beer cans at our house, and we'd have to go pick them up out of the yard. I mean, they, they took it probably a little too seriously looking back on it now. But I remember from that time forward, I mean, that, I think the football team had only lost maybe three games the previous four years, and then my first one I personally was responsible for. And people didn't like so much that Dad had, had put me in that position. And at that time I thought, you know, if for no other reason, man, I, to validate my dad, I've got to play well. And the next three years I think we only lost three or four more games total. I mean, we did well. Um, and I went on to co- play college football, and, and things went well. But I had in the back of my head that I, that I had to um, I had to validate what Dad did. And I had to keep pushing on as long as I could for whoever sent us the flowers and whoever threw the bottles in our yard. For those people, I had to keep pushing on to make sure I didn't let my dad down. That was kind of my mindset going through high school. In our very last practice my senior year, right as we were wrapping up the year, we had a thing where the, the seniors... We'd go to the 50-yard line, and my dad would talk to every senior one at a time and just say, hey, you know, congratulations, thank you, it's been a joy, blah, blah, blah. He left me for last, of course. Um, and we stood there, and I remember it like it was yesterday. We stood there on the 50-yard line. Everyone else had gone, and he put his hands on my shoulder pads. Picture it like it was yesterday. And he looked me in the eye, and I'd already decided to go play college football. We were playing the championship game the next night. And he said, if you never took another snap on the football field, I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you. I really don't care what you do in football. I love you because you're my son. And man, at that moment, having your dad tell you you're good enough and you can stop trying to be better, I mean, I'll remember that the rest of my life. And I I don't even know at the time that I knew how much it impacted me. But every time looking back on my life, you know, I wonder if I was good enough or okay. I think about my dad saying, you're good enough for me. You know, when we started this church, my dad was here on grand opening Sunday, and he, he called me the, uh, the Monday after our grand opening. Um, and I've got the message saved, and I hope I, I, hope I never lose it. And he you know, said again, Christian, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. If nobody would have showed up today, I'm proud of you being obedient to God. And he started crying on the phone. while he's lit. So he's crying on this voicemail that I've got that I cry every time I listen to. Why? Because it's so important to have a dad say, man, I'm proud of you. You're good enough for me. I'm proud of you. Good job. 
If you're a dad today, you can make all the difference in the world by being the kind of dad that God was to Jesus. And let me say this today to all the dads starting right now. Maybe the message you need to hear this morning, because maybe you haven't been this kind of dad, is God's view of you, dad. If God were here, he'd tell you he loved you. He's proud of you. He'd remind you what you're good at. He might encourage you to get some things in your life fixed, but to every dad here today, God wants you to know he loves you. He's proud of you. You're good at something that he can use, and he just wants to be close to you. And if you're here today and you're not close to God, if you don't look at God as a father, you know, maybe you didn't have a dad you were close to, so the thought of God as a father turned you off more than turned you on. God is the perfect dad. And he wants to love you and be near you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around, please, out of respect for those around you. Dads, God's message to you today is that he loves you. He's proud of you. And he's pleased with those things that you're good at. And he wants to use those in your life. Regardless of if you've been a good dad, an average dad, an absent father, a great dad, God loves you. And he's proud of you. And he's pleased with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to not just be your heavenly father, but he wants to have a relationship with you that starts here on planet earth but continues in heaven forever. And if you are in this room today and you don't know that if today were to be the last day you spent on planet earth, that tomorrow you know for sure you would wake up in heaven with a heavenly father who loved you, embraced you, has forgiven you. You can know that before you leave this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are in here today, man, woman, adult, single person, teenager, child, and today you want the heavenly father to be your heavenly father. You want God to be your spiritual dad. You've never become a Christian. Then pray this prayer with me. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart, dear God. I want you to be my spiritual dad. I want you to love me. Be proud of me. Be pleased with my life. I want you to use me for your glory. And one day I want to live in heaven forever with you. So today, by faith, I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me for the things in my life that have fallen short of your perfect standard for me. And God, you go about changing those things that need to be changed. I trust you to do that. But today, by faith, God, I ask you to become my heavenly father. Today, I want to become a Christian. I want to be loved by you. I want to be yours. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, please, nobody looking around, if you just prayed that prayer today to become a Christian, to ask God to be your spiritual father, but nobody looking around, would you just slip your hand up quickly and down quickly just so that I can know, yes, anybody else, Christian, I prayed that prayer. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, dads, I want to pray with you. If you're a dad in the room today, 
I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me out loud. And as a group of dads, we're going to commit to try to be the type of father that God was to Jesus. So dads, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I can't hear you dads. Dear God, help me to be the father you've created me to be. Help me to let my kids know that I love them. That I'm proud of them. That they're good at stuff. And help me to remind them what they can be, not just what they are. Help me to be a dad who makes all the difference in the world for my kids. Help me to be a great dad, God. In Jesus' name. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, one last group of people I want to pray for in this room today. Those in here who did not have the Father that we talked about in the Bible. Those who today have a strained relationship with the Father. They have a non-existent relationship with the Father. Those who were abused by a father or a stepfather. And I'm not going to ask you to pray anything out loud together with me, but I just want to pray for you. Those of you who have a real dad wound in your life. It's not supposed to be that way. God, I pray for those men and women who are here today. Who grew up, Lord, without a dad who followed you so he didn't know how to lead them. And God, I pray that you will help the men and women in our congregation with a wound from their dad. To be able to forgive their dad. To be able to love their dad. And to be able to, according to your will, Lord, settle in their life uh, on a relationship of peace. Whether that's reconciliation. Whether that's continuing to be apart but having peace with that decision. Be with those men and women who don't celebrate Father's Day but they mourn it. And God help them. And then finally, Lord, I pray for those in the congregation who today are celebrating their first Father's Day without their dad because in the last year they've lost him. And God, I just pray that on this day you'd give them comfort, you'd give them grace, you would help them, you'd heal their hearts, and you'd allow them to celebrate all the memories, not to relive all the hurt. And God, we give everything that's been done in this place today. We give it to you. We ask you to bless it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Here's what I want.